0: Well, good morning, everyone. So that that is a little indicative, I think, of the overcasty day that we've got going on outside. I think uh, but it's great to see all of you this morning. So glad that you're here. Glad that you've joined us uh, as we gather together this morning for worship. Uh, before we get started, I want to give you a quick finance update, and uh, and it's good news actually. Uh, after starting the month of October behind in our giving. Uh, after the first nine weeks of our fiscal year, we are now ahead, believe it or not, of budgeted giving by $28,000, and which, yes, all of that is very warranted, so <laughs> whoops, hollers, clapping, yes, all of those things are, uh, are good responses to that. Uh, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, historically, For whatever reason, for reasons that only God knows, October has not been a good month for us in terms of giving over the course of our 15-year history. But this year, we're heading into November, uh, nearly a Sunday ahead of our budgeted giving. So thank you uh, for your prayers, uh, and also thank you for your generous response. Uh, to the challenge of providing resources for all that God is doing at the highway community as we launch our third site in San Jose, as we reestablish our site in Palo Alto, and then as we continue on with our growing ministries here in Mountain View. So please continue uh, to pray for God's provision for us as we move through the end of the year. Uh, But this is great news and a great response, and uh, and we're very excited about the way that God is moving. This morning we're continuing our teaching series in Colossians entitled Centered where we're exploring what it means to locate Christ at the center of our lives and allow him to deeply inform the way that we live. Now, Paul was writing to the Colossians, remember, to address some erroneous teaching that was circulating in the church. False teachers were suggesting that there were certain practices and certain experiences that were necessary in order for people to fully encounter God in Christ and participate in the life of his people. And last week, as we moved into the body of Paul's letter, we saw Paul directly addressing those practices and experiences by reminding the Colossians and reassuring the Colossians in no uncertain terms that they are included and that they are free. That because of their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and because of that alone, they're not only worthy to be full participants with God and in the life of his people, but they're also, in addition to that, free from the rules and the regulations that are based on human commands and teachings. And so we saw last time that Paul was encouraging the Colossians that they don't need to do anything else, that their identity has already been made complete in Christ. Well, now, this morning, as we step into Colossians chapter 3, We're going to see Paul discussing what it means for them to live into that freedom as God's people, which ultimately has everything to do with living lives that are centered in love. If you have your Bible with you this morning and you'd like to join me in Colossians 3, you'll find Colossians towards the end of your Bible, located right between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. Colossians chapter 3 is where we'll be starting, and uh, you're also welcome, as always, to follow along with the text on the screens behind me as well. Colossians chapter 3, Paul starts this way in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, last week, we talked about the way that Paul uses repetition in Colossians. And he uses it, remember, for emphasis. Repetition is is Paul's way of, of highlighting something that's important. It's his way of underlining something that he doesn't want the Colossians to miss or forget. And as we listen to these first verses here of chapter 3, we immediately notice that, that Paul is at this again, And since then, he starts, you have been raised with Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. And so Paul, as he starts here, is reminding the Colossians again of what he just spent virtually all of chapter 2 explaining, and that is that Christ is their identity, Christ is their identity. He's reiterating that through their faith, they have already been raised with Christ, which is to say that they already share in the resurrection. Right? So Paul is reminding them here as he starts that they are already full participants. He starts by reminding them again of who they are. Now, something else that we observed last time as we transitioned into the body of Paul's letter was this very distinct shift in tone this distinct shift in tone. The body of Paul's letter we saw last week is dominated by commands. And we see that again here with these two parallel commands that begin chapter three. Paul says, set your minds on things above and set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Now, something that is important for us to note, I think, is the way that Paul, as he writes the Colossians, provides the basis for these commands that dominate this section of the letter. We saw this last week actually as well. Right? Paul doesn't just roll out a bunch of commands to the Colossians because I said so, right? which is everybody's favorite way of hearing what they're supposed to do. Right? He doesn't just roll out a bunch of commands to the Colossians because I said so. Paul actually takes great care to provide the why behind his commands. He takes great care to provide the reasoning behind what he is instructing them to do. And here we see that these commands for the Colossians to set their hearts and minds on things above, these commands emerge very directly from their identity. These commands emerge from their identity. And so because they have been raised with Christ, the Colossians are now to set their hearts and minds on things above and not on earthly things. And by earthly things here, Paul is is referring to the rules and the regulations and the practices of the false teachers that were being promoted that we looked at last week. And so instead of orienting themselves around those things, like the Old Testament dietary restrictions and extreme forms of abstinence and, and angel worship, instead of orienting themselves around those things, Paul wants them to set their hearts and minds on Christ and to orient their lives around him. And in the verses that follow, Paul describes what it looks like to do that. And so that we can can experience the the broader movement of, of what Paul is saying here, I'm going to read verses 5 through 15 all together as one unit. So take a look with me at Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful." You know, when we hear this section of Paul's letter read, it's hard for us, I think, you know, coming from our modern cultural context, which is so driven by performance and so driven by achievement, but it's hard for us not to hear these verses as just this never-ending list of rules. It's hard for us, I think, not to hear these verses as just this huge checklist of of things to do and things not to do. However, for as much as all of that might sound like that to us, that's not what Paul is doing here. And for as much as it might sound that way to us, that is not what Paul is doing here. Paul, remember, has just finished debunking the rules-based approach of the false teachers in the church. And so it wouldn't make any sense for him then to turn around and burden the Colossians with an entirely different set of rules. No, Paul, here in these verses, that's not what he's doing. He's actually inviting the Colossians to something deeper. He's inviting them into something bigger. He's inviting them, actually, to live into their identity. He's inviting them to become who they already are in Christ. And that starts, we see in verse 5, with putting to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It starts with putting to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And the significance of what Paul is saying here is underscored, I think, in a very important way by the language that he uses. Put to death, therefore. That language stands in stark contrast to the language of the false teachers that we saw last time. Right? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. Right? Paul says put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And that very definitively, I think, puts Paul's teaching and his authority in an entirely different league. He's setting himself apart here as he moves into this instruction about what it means for the Colossians to live into their identity. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And Paul then follows that instruction with two lists of vices. And the first of those focuses on sexual immorality. Look again at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. The emphasis and the attention that Paul gives here to sexual sin suggests that this was something that represented a significant challenge for the people in the church in Colossae. Now, in in the Roman world, sexual immorality of all kinds was both pervasive and it was also permissible. And so much so that sex was actually incorporated into the worship of some of the pagan gods and goddesses. And so Paul, in light of all of that, provides a concise yet comprehensive catalog here that makes it clear that sexual immorality in all of its various forms, sexual immorality in everything that it encompasses, impurity and lust and evil desires and greed, that none of that is reflective of who the Colossians are now in Christ. And that's punctuated for us in verse 7. Paul says this. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. And Paul's use of the past tense there makes a very clear and deliberate distinction. That is who you were. That's how you used to walk previously, but not now. And so put to death the sexual immorality that belongs to your earthly nature. Paul's second list of vices begins in verse 8, and it is connected with putting off earthly attitudes and speech. Take a look with me at verse 8 of Colossians 3. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, Paul's decision to include this list of vices suggests, I think, that that the Colossians may have been struggling in their interpersonal relationships with one another. And while part of that uh, would have undoubtedly been attributable simply to the challenge that relationships are for us uh, as inherently selfish and willful people, right? while part of that struggle would have certainly been attributable to that, it's also likely that some of the relational struggles that were occurring in this community had to do with the effects and the impacts of the false teachings as well. Right? It's not hard to imagine that as people in the church were pressured by the false teachers. And, and as they responded in different ways to the things that were that were being taught, that, that could have could have strained relationships in the community, and right? as people had differences and took sides and fell on one side or the other. And so Paul is calling them here in the midst of all of that to rid themselves, literally to take away or to put off anger, rage, malice slander, filthy language, and lying, right all of which undermine relationships, and all of which undermine community. And the reason that they're to rid themselves of these things, Paul says in verse 11, again, has to do with their identity, and more specifically, the new relational reality that comes as a result of their new identity, which Paul explains in verse 11. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so Paul is reminding the Colossians here of something very important, and that is that in Christ, all of the things that previously distinguished people and all the things that previously divided people from one another, things like race, things like ancestral religion, Things like language, things like class. All of those things, Paul is saying, are now irrelevant because Christ is all and is in all. Or put another way, Christ is everyone and is in everyone. And because of that, there must be mutual welcome and there must be mutual respect within the people of God. And so the Colossians are to rid themselves of earthly attitudes and speech. Well, after instructing this community about what to put off, Paul then changes gears to talk about what they are to put on. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful." And once again here, in keeping with the theme so far, Paul begins with identity. Therefore, he says at the beginning of verse 12, as God's chosen people. Therefore, as God's chosen people. As we've been making our way through Paul's letter, we've seen him repeatedly locating the Colossians within a larger story. And we see him doing the same thing here again. Through Christ, the Colossians, Paul says, are now a part of God's chosen people. And that language, of course, evokes the nation of Israel, right? who God called to live in a way that was distinct from their neighbors in order to represent his presence in the world. And so by using that language here, Paul is effectively saying that the Colossians are now called to the very same thing. They're now called to the very same thing. And Paul defines exactly what that looks like in these verses. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, the Colossians are to clothe themselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. They're to bear with one another. They're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven them. And so essentially, they are to put on the sacrificial love of Christ. They are to put on the love of Christ. And that, Paul says, is the thing that defines them. That is the thing that marks them out as the people of God. And Paul's metaphor of clothing here, his use of that metaphor, really highlights that in a significant way. For a short time while I was a freshman in college, I was considering rhetoric and communications as a second major in addition to English. And so as a result of that, during my very first quarter at school, I enrolled in the introductory group communication class. And it was a pretty small class, probably about 25 students. And the instructor for this class was a graduate student, uh, probably in her mid to late 20s. And she came to class that very first week. This is fall quarter of my freshman year. This is my first experience with anything college. She came to class that very first week super dressed up. She came wearing a dress and she came wearing heels. She wore that for the entire first week and then she never wore anything like that for the rest of the quarter. And the reason that I remember that is because she told us, uh, for some reason I can't remember exactly why it came up somehow in the context of her teaching later in the quarter, but she told us that she had actually worn those clothes during that first week on purpose. And she'd worn them so that, as a class, we would know who she was. She wore them so as a class that we would identify her as the instructor. Right? Because had she come wearing something else, you know, had she come, for example, after just working out at the gym and come in a sweatsuit, it might not have been as clear who this person was. But she put on those particular clothes, and they distinguished her. She wore those clothes, and they marked her identity as the teacher in that class. And that is precisely what Paul is getting at by using the clothing metaphor here. When the Colossians put on love in the form of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, when when they bear with one another, when they forgive each other, when they let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts, when they put on those things, they distinguish themselves as God's people they distinguish themselves as God's chosen people. And when they put on love, they're a visible representation of God's presence on earth for other people to see. Now because of our faith in what God has done through his son Jesus, we too, like the Colossians, are a part of God's story. Because of our faith in Christ, we too are a part of God's chosen people. And that means that we too are also called to orient ourselves around that identity and put on love, just as Paul is calling the Colossians to do here in chapter 3. And Paul, I think, very importantly reminds us through that command, through that command to put on love, he very importantly reminds us that faith isn't only about believing certain things. That faith is not just about believing certain things. It's very much a lived expression. Faith is very much a lived expression. It's seen in what we do. And the two commands, back in the first two verses of chapter three, actually reinforce that in a very profound way. Now, the verb that Paul uses in those commands that are translated, set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, the verb that Paul uses there literally means to seek. It means to seek or to look for. And in the original language... That verb is in the present active indicative tense, which means that it's communicating a continuous action. It's communicating a continuous action. And so if we were to translate that phrase more literally, it would read something like, keep seeking things above. Keep seeking things above. And that's really significant, I think because it reminds us that orienting ourselves around our identity in Christ is an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing journey of keeping seeking after him. It's an ongoing journey. It's something that we have to be deliberate and purposeful about. and something that we have to be deliberate and purposeful about on a daily basis. Because the reality is, just like the Colossians, every day you and I are faced with choices. Every day we are faced with choices. Every day we're making choices about what we're going to put on and what we're going to put off. Every day we're making choices about what identity we are going to orient ourselves around. The question is, what do we choose? What do we choose? And Paul, fortunately, couldn't make it any simpler. We're to choose love. We're to choose love, and we're to choose love in all of its various forms. We're to choose compassion and care about the suffering and the pain around us, rather than being indifferent or ignorant. We're to choose kindness and be gracious and generous in our words and in our deeds, as opposed to being unsympathetic. We're to choose humility and consider others and the needs of others ahead of our own instead of looking out just for our own interests. We're to choose gentleness and be considerate of and and delicate with the feelings of others instead of being harsh. We're to choose patience and bear with those who, for whatever reason, frustrate us instead of becoming easily irritable and judgmental. We're to choose forgiveness and pursue healing and restoration in our relationships with others instead of harboring anger and resentment. If we live into our identity as God's chosen people and we represent God's presence in the world when we choose love, we live into our identity as God's chosen people and we represent him in the world in a visible way for others to see when we choose love. And that, Paul reminds us, is our calling. Nick and the band are going to come, and uh, we are going to close this morning with communion. Now, the elements that are here on the table in front of me at the front of the stage are are rich symbols. The bread represents Jesus' body, which was given for us. And the wine, or the juice, represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for us. And these elements remind us of of Jesus' ultimate expression, of Jesus' ultimate demonstration of sacrificial love. And at the same time that they remind us of that, they also remind us of our identity as well, that as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are in Christ. And so as we come to the table this morning and as we partake of these elements, you know, may taking these, you know, in addition to reminding us of Jesus' sacrificial love and in addition to reminding us of our identity in him, may taking these elements also reflect our desire to choose love and to seek to embody Christ in our lives and in our world. And so as Nick leads us, whenever you are ready, you can make your way down to the front here. Please come from the sides. You can then take the elements and then return to your seat through the center. And whenever you are ready this morning, uh, you are free to partake of those elements as we worship. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the table this morning, we are truly humbled. We're humbled by the magnitude of your love for us. We're humbled that through the the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, we are a part of your people. And we're also humbled that we've been given the responsibility of being representatives of your presence and your love in the world as your chosen people. Father, as we come today to this table, we offer ourselves to you this morning. Would you give us courage as we keep seeking you? Would you give us the wisdom and the courage, Father, to choose love and to choose love in all of its various forms. And then, God, as we endeavor to put on love, we ask that you and you alone would be seen in us and through us.